0: Welcome back to the podcast in episode 72. First, allow me to give you the holiday schedule. This episode is a little shorter because, well, well, color me surprised, this isn't your highest priority over the coming week. There won't be an episode next week and then back again in the new year where we'll likely finish up the assignment. As we are about to wrap up the assignment at the National Defense University, For those who are veterans and those who are not, a unique aspect of the United States Air Force certainly is that opportunities come along, sometimes unexpectedly, that are unique and most often than not build on each other and perhaps most of all have the ability to be engaged with events and opportunities that you can see the impact years later. In the last episode, The trip to India was one of those trips. Not only was the side trip to the Taj Mahal something that I would never have otherwise experienced, to be able to represent the United States at such an event provided a world view that I would never otherwise would have had. For some reason, like many of my other experiences, I was very junior to be attending this event, which was actually supposed to have been attended by the president of NDU. Another trip, very similar in this way, was my trip to Ukraine. Episode Short Take 6 on October 30th, 2022, shared a view of Kiev, Ukraine in November of 2005. If you remember having listened to that episode, you heard about my experiences in this most amazing city. Not only was it a city where East meets West after the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, By 2005, you could see the pride of a relatively new nation with their own dialect of Ukrainian as well as the impact still of Russia. On this trip, I was part of a three-person delegation to help Ukraine develop a new national defense university for their senior military leaders. The lectures were delivered through a translator and that was a unique challenge for me because as you already know, I talk a little fast, and I had never done this before. I mentioned last week that we had to temper and shift our recommendations depending on where we were because most often, in fact nearly every time, the budgets of that nations were nowhere near what the budget was for NDU. Further, more often than not, they didn't have the kinds of resources that we had either. With that in mind, we focused on organizational structure, faculty development, and a national and international curricula. We had our meals on the military base, and at that time, we paid the equivalent of just about 25 cents for lunch. As a comparison, as I recall, the exchange rate for the Grievna and the US dollar was just over 7 to 1, and in episode short take 6, You'll hear stories about using both the grivna and kopecks, which is the name for the coins below a full grivna. And there are some pretty funny stories in that episode. Most likely due to the two-year war, the exchange rate today is thirty-seven grivna to a dollar. We know that wars are far-reaching in a country, and in this case, it is devastating the economy as well as, of course, the nation. Initially, and even today, when I see images on TV of Kiev, Ukraine, it makes me sad because it really truly was a very beautiful and exciting city to be in. Following that initial trip in 2005, there were at least two other exchange trips that NDU made to Ukraine in the early 2000s and in some ways shaped the military for the fight today. In fact, not long after the war started, my former colleague, Dr. Susan Studs, and I talked about what impact we thought that our trips had on the military in Ukraine as she went on some of the follow-up trips after mine, and how they applied to the current war. I'm sure that my personal impact was far less than those senior to me, and yet, to be part of this experience a decade and a half before the current war surely did impact the world today. It may be being a bit older and now being retired for so many years that I often do look back at my career and I think about those one or so things that I had a part in that still shape the military today. Whether it was the change in how exercises at Red Horse were done, or how bases report financial data to the major commands, or the assistance that we made to other countries in the world of military education. It is satisfying, and I'm sure others, rather everyone who serves, can come up with similar stories. It was in part because of the work in India and as a visiting professor at the Korean National Defense University I was given another additional duty of being the primary liaison for visiting dignitaries to NDU, including the Swedes, Koreans, Romanians, and others. You've heard me say that, being an Asian American during the period of time that I grew up, I had doors closed, and that is true. I've also had doors opened because of it, and this is just one of those examples, because my boss told me that I was selected primarily because I was um, an Asian American. One of the prized collections that I have from my trip to Ukraine wasn't the souvenirs that I got. It was the memories of meeting the people that I did. And I also was given a Ukrainian Air Force lieutenant colonel shoulder board from one of my hosts, and it is one of my special uh, souvenirs. Our work in research went beyond other nations' military schools. I had the chance to help create a joint ROTC program at the University of South Florida, which was, at the time, a congressional program to integrate some of the ROTC programs. Having experience in ROTC, it is true that each does teach joint and interagency parts within the curriculum. This was to develop a program that was far more integrated, and it really makes sense because some schools have very small detachments, whether one service or another. During this period, we also engineered a program for the Young Presidents Organization, or YPO. The YPO is an organization of chief executives of both U.S. and international companies and organizations, and is viewed somewhat as the precursor to the former World Business Council. With our help, they won an award for the newcomer orientation that we helped design and held one at NDU, so we got to meet some amazing corporate leaders, and it was inspiring to meet and learn about their leadership style. I share these because the work at NDU was so diverse and not just focused on professional military education. It is about this time that I'm also looking at the calendar because, again, I'm coming up on both the end of what would be a normal tour of duty and competing for a colonel below the zone. My record was solid, and yet the diversity of what it was in some ways could be a concern. And going to NDU while I was in a colonel billet, that was something that's not in your record per se. So... While it fit well with my education, I am out of my career field again, this time for almost five years, and that likely would be challenging. In addition, you may remember that when you take either professional military education in residence or get promoted, there is a service obligation that essentially extends your career. In 2005, I have just under 27 years of military service. And I make the decision that I'm going to retire. The words of General Leasy come back as advice from that call that I was on in Austin. And so frankly, I would come up for Colonel. If I made it, I would wait six to nine months before pinning on and three more years for the service commitment. And now we're well past 31 years of service. And rather than to continue and have this concern, I made the decision to apply for retirement a year out. It's a part of the evil plan that gives you time, and maybe sometimes time plus, without worrying about moving again, and it takes your name out of competition for the next promotion. While it's not really a reason to retire, I did think back to my time at the University of Texas and seeing those young leaders being commissioned into the Air Force the Air Force was in very good hands. So that's what I plan to do and take the year out plus to Williger plan, which is slightly different than the Air Force's typical plan. You also can pull your retirement papers. And in fact, sometimes the Air Force asks you to do that. And again, now in my situation, if I decide to do that, The timing was important because what I would not want to do was pull my papers and then also miss the window for the promotion to colonel. So anyway, I have to decide what's next. By now, I've been promoted to full adjunct professor at the University of Maryland University College, teaching six hours a semester. So if I thought about going back into academia, I would be able to go back in as a full professor. And that brings you to what are you going to do after retirement. What I will say is that what happens is very different from what I thought could even happen. Over the course of the last year or so, I also had my realtor look for options as the initial plan was to buy the condo when I first moved back to Virginia was really going to be an interim home. We knew early on that there was going to be a new condo being built in the heart of Clarendon, which is about a mile east going toward Washington, D.C. It's a vibrant area, and my realtor had connections with the sales agent, and so that was the one that I was pretty focused on when that came about. I was introduced to her ahead of the announcement of the day, and the condos would come on sale at some time soon. This was the height Of the real estate boom. And the way it worked in our area was that people would queue up on the announced date that the condo would be released for sale. And if you remember the long lines that Apple had with a new iPhone, that's exactly what it was like. Then if you got got in that day, you would have 15 to 30 minutes to decide if you're going to make a purchase or not. Walk away and you go to the back of the line. That was important because as a new building was being built, the price goes up for every 10% of the building or so that is sold. It was a crazy and shark tank environment. You know how it is. If you ever bought a new home in a development area and you see sold, 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 you're going, oh, this must be a good place to live because people are buying them. And so that's why those first few get a little bit of a discount and the last ones in, well, they pay full price. The other thing was that a lot of these companies did not pay the realtor the full 3% on the side that they normally pay when you buy a new home. And you'll hear about my deal soon with my realtor. The sales agent was Gail. She said that they are going to do things differently. Instead of the queue process, they are going to make appointments. So, How would that work? She said that they will send out an announcement by email, and then people will call in and make an appointment. I'm not that super tech savvy, but I did know that I could program all of my emails to go to my text messages. At the time, I didn't have a phone that had mail on it, only texts. So I'm at work, and the text comes in, and I call within a second. Gail answered the phone and said, I just sent out a notice. I said yes, I know, and I was the first in line and called my realtor for the time of the appointment. My plan is to buy a penthouse unit and there is another hitch. They don't release penthouse units for quite some time later. You had the far, you had the first option to buy a ninth floor condo and when the penthouse pricing comes about then you are the first ones that are allowed to move up to the penthouse level in the same floor plan that you bought at the prevailing price. So no more discount and likely a substantial plus-up because it is the top of the building. Okay, I'll play the game. I put the deposit down on the ninth-floor unit, picked a really nice unit because it had a balcony that goes from the master bedroom around to the living room and the second bedroom, so all the rooms had a nice large balcony, and it seemed like a great floor plan. I emphasize the word seemed like. Now that I know the price, I come up with another plan to pay for it. Condos have appreciated a fair amount since I bought my current one, and yet I didn't want to have a mortgage because I now decided to retire, and I didn't know what the future would hold. So I decided to explore buying pre-construction condos and selling them on delivery. In concert with my real estate agent, I made a deal with her. I would use her exclusively to buy the condos, whether I found them on my own or not. I'd just call her and have her meet me at closing. Since I was doing a lot of the work, I made this deal. Instead of paying her the 3% on the the, uh, buying side... I would pay her 2% and get a $1,000 rebate and sign up for United Miles. She agreed. I did most of the research and basically would call her for the appointment time. Remember, everything is negotiable. My condo was scheduled to be completed in 18 months, so I had plenty of time and learned that I would actually have more time. The first one went well. I paid a small deposit for a pre-construction condo, and when it got close to closing on it, I would advertise it with the hope to close on the day after I closed. I had a certain number in my head of what I needed to make on these sales, and the market was so hot that they would sell very quickly. A real plus, of course, is that if you sell it right at the time that you close on your transaction, then you don't have a payment because on a new loan, you normally have 60 days before the payment is due. So the closing that I would have and the closing for selling it often would overlap. And I'm sure title companies were trying to figure out who really owns the condo. So the first one goes so well that I did it again and again, several more times. In the next episode, I'll share how all of this plays out because, well, I'm sure you may have guessed that the condo that I was buying as my permanent home would have complications. About the same time that I'm doing research in the condo market in the D.C. area and buying and selling condos, my colleague also wanted to buy his first home. I put him in touch with my realtor and we got him into his first home at a price that was pretty good because he was on the early side of sales. But that was the real plus with my agent. She knew a lot of people and could always kind of get us in, even though others couldn't. There was one time that we were having a cocktail in a bar talking about some business and someone walked in that she knew and we made an appointment for a condo that was closed to everybody else that day. I also put her in touch with another colleague who was selling and buying a new home. He had everything all picked out and wanted to use a realtor just to make the process easier than doing it on his own. So this gave my realtor more than a million dollar sale on each side. And oh, they didn't get the special deal that I negotiated for myself. So there was a time that my realtor calls me and says, you know, I think we need to renegotiate our deal. And I said, okay, I'll just find someone else who will do it. By chance, it was just after we had closed on a contract that I did all the work and just called her and told her where to meet to make her money. It was less than five minutes. And she called me back and said, oh, I'm sorry. I I misspoke. Let's continue working together. I needed her because she had the contacts to get in on the early side of these condos. And she needed me because she had this this income stream without having to do a lot of the work. As you can see, a lot is going on. I'm still working full stream at NDU, traveling with outreach programs, teaching at UMUC, and now kind of in the real estate game. Something else was added to my plate at the time. While I knew that I didn't have to work because my retirement would be okay, I figured I might as well look to see what's out there. President Bush included a law during his tenure that every federal agency had to have a chief learning officer that reported to the head of the department, meaning that the position had to be a senior executive service employee. When I learned about the change in the law, which was coinciding almost exactly with the time that I would be retiring, it seemed like a really good fit with my experience as the education and training manager for services at the Air Force level, my time at UT Austin, and my current assignment as a senior executive on the administrative side. I figured I would be well qualified for these types of jobs. And so, I might as well look to see what's out there. With that, let's close out the year with the tidbits to bring you back after the holidays. What happens with my retirement plans? Did my condo actually really get built? And did you find anything worth exploring in a post-retirement world? Each of these comes with a story, most challenging and most with roadblocks and rainbows. During this time, there is also a little purple rain, and in some ways, it comes at just the right time. And that may sound odd. It's true. As I look back, it is during this time that I finally understand, or at least learn, what the impact has been of all the purple rain during the course of my lifetime. I truly want to thank everyone for continuing to check in this year and joining me on my journey. I also thank my special guests and extend my best wishes to you as the year comes to an end. I shared some great events this year and look forward to 2024 with optimism that we can bring peace to the conflicts around the world continue to help prevent newborns from being discarded and saved safely and anonymously, and most importantly, that the world will look at things from a different perspective, and let's find common ground rather than divisiveness. Those are a lot of hopes, but you know what? Together, we can do that. We don't always have to agree, and in fact, our disagreements can be positive when it's done with respect for one another. Happiest holidays this season, and I look forward to coming back in the new year.